everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And this week we're going to do something a little bit different. The, the, the focal point of our discussion this week, we're going to find ways to work games into it, I'm sure, but we're not going to be talking about games uh, so much as we're going to be talking about just like, to put it in a funny way, getting good uh, <laughs> through, through the lens of uh, an incredible Twitter thread that came out this past week. There is a a prominent voice actor named Kaiji Tang. I th- hope I'm pronouncing that correct. I believe I am. Who he's been in a ton of shit. He's been in video yeah. games. He's been uh, in anime. Most he, recently, uh, I I think he's in the game sphere. He's famous for voicing Ichiban, the main character of Yakuza Seven or Yakuza Like a Dragon. I think is yeah. the official title. Um, he was yeah, also he- Hijiyama in Thirteen Sentinels, which is another game I've been kind of plugging here and there on Twitter. Yeah, in the anime sphere recently, he's been in uh, Dorohidoro and uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, he, he's all over the place. He's a, he's a very prolific voice actor. Uh, and he put out a Twitter thread that is, at the risk of being hyperbolic, maybe my favorite thread I've ever seen on Twitter. <laughs> I um, love this because it appeals to me as a nerd and as a actor. <laughs> yeah, so he, he put out this thread uh, on sort of trying to put into words the process of getting better at acting and voiceover through the lens of Naruto, uh, which I adore. Uh, so as background in, in Naruto, the character of, uh, I said Mike Guy, uh, Rock Lee, who is a one of the ninjas in Naruto, as I understand it, and this is well further into the anime or the manga than I ever got because I kind of fell off the Naruto chain, uh, he ha- unlocks the ability to like open these different gates inside himself that act as like limiters on his strength. Uh, and there are eight gates that he is able to open, and in opening all of them, he like unlocks ultimate power. But I think dies. I don't remember. I I like I said, this is deeper into the show than I got. But that's the metaphor. Uh, so I'm just gonna read through this Twitter thread, and then we're going to discuss it because it is delightful. And if you are a creative in any way whether you're doing it as a hobby or professionally whether it's voiceover or acting or art like visual art or filmmaking or whatever it is i feel like this is a really powerful metaphor that like you know twist the words around to match your craft better and i think that there mm-hmm. is something useful to be gotten here for anyone who is pursuing mastery of a craft so the twitter thread Just as in Naruto, in voiceover there are eight gates that limit your acting power. We will be diving into each of them in this thread. First gate, the gate of mimicry. Opening this gate allows one to mimic the character and acting choices of another actor. This allows an outside introduction to natural acting choices, but has difficulty evolving into competitive acting uh, left on its own. Second gate, the gate of evolution. The opening of this gate allows the actor to begin manifesting parts of themselves in their mimicry, setting the foundation of real character creation. The actor begins to keep what works for them and discarding the rest. Third gate, the gate of technique. The actor begins realizing the undercurrent of technique and how it affects his entire performance. This allows more precise storytelling, music, control in their performance. True emotional delivery is still barred, but at times peek through. Fourth gate, the gate of proficiency. 
Opening this gate solidifies an actor's technical skill in line delivery, creating strong skeletons of storytelling with their delivery technique. Famously, where many actors give up the improvement journey due to lack of self-reflection. Fifth gate, the gate of tears. Extremely difficult to open. Moving through this gate, the actor realizes all the technique in the world won't help if they've locked away how they deal with their emotions. Technique becomes the foundation, and real emotional discovery begins. Sixth gate, the gate of rebirth. Every bit of an actor's training is called into question and restructured around their new ability to honestly and earnestly channel their emotions into their technique. Barriers are broken, and acting begins to come alive. A personal style forms. Seventh gate, the gate of mastery. The actor invests an enormous amount of energy into cultivating and refining their new personal style. The ability to absorb and incorporate new techniques becomes as easy as breathing. They now live in the flow, or the zone. Eighth gate, the gate of no gate. Every acting choice is natural and flows from instinct. The actor no longer has to think about whether a line delivery makes sense, they simply make it so. There are no limits, only perspective. You are the conduit of the story. I love everything about this. It makes me incredibly happy. And I think that we're just going to kind of ramble about why for the yeah, next like, however this, this long this episode lasts. This is going to be a very gushy lasts. episode, but um, honestly, uh, for people who are here for us to talk about video games, don't worry about that, because I feel like this can be traced back to video games. This has kind of been something I've been thinking about basically since 2021 started. And Kaiji Tang somehow was able to take those thoughts and turn them into a Naruto analogy in a way that made perfect <laughs> sense to me and super resonated with me. And that's so fucking cool. God, I yeah. love nerds. So I think that the thing about this that, like, as a starting point, I love this because it, it, it emphasizes that whatever you're trying to get good at, mastery is all about, like, it's, it is just as much about getting out of your own way as it is about learning new things. And I think that that's a really important thing to notice, because, like, you know, the first few gates, to use his metaphor, gate one is about, like, taking stuff in from other actors, learning by, like, absorbing what other people do. Gate two is about using elements of yourself and elements of, like, techniques that you learn on that kind of mimicked life, mimicked acting. Gate three is about further refining technique. Gate four is like, cool, I am good at all of this stuff that I have picked up. And then gate five is like, now I need to be able to tear that down. The gate of tears. I just need to get all of that and all of the emotional blockage that we all have. Like, that's, that's one of the things about, at the very least in, like, Western society and American society, and in particular, fucking male American society, to mm -hmm. toxic masculinity. One of the big things of that is about emotional blockage and and... Yeah. You know, even outside of that framework, societal expectations of like when and how it is okay to express emotional states. You need to be able to break that shit down and get that out of your way. Again, we're talking about this from an acting point of view, but I'm willing to bet like from any creative, whether you're a filmmaker or a visual artist or a musician, at some point you need to be able to like recognize the value of all of the technique but also recognize the value in, like, putting that aside and just finding a way to let whatever the impulses in yourself emotionally are out there. So and, that you can oh, just sorry, find yeah, what it's going to be. And so, Chris, something that I think I've been struggling with in, for the last 
three or four years, honestly, and I don't know uh, what your experience with this has been, but I think the thing that's been tripping me up for so long is that I got so caught up in the the academia of acting, in the the analysis and the, um, you know, identifying objective, super objective, you know, all that stuff yeah. that, like, I kind of forgot how to act for a while. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that, and I think that that comes from the way that we studied acting, uh, mm-hmm. for anybody who has not heard us say this before, Dylan and I went to the same school. We we studied acting in the same program, and it it did have a very academic, uh, technique focused kind of approach to acting, and very very much about script analysis and breaking down character objectives and finding, uh, finding objectives, finding tactics, finding obstacles. I remember like. In a couple of the acting courses, like the the character analysis course, we worked a little bit on like some Alexander technique and some Meisner technique type stuff, but only very much in passing. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that's more focused on like. And again, I also don't know how much of that I ever get value out of because so much of acting technique, in my opinion, is like go out and consume as much as you can, and then keep what works for you and and put away what doesn't because it's it's such a personal thing. But I think that, like, that style of acting training is very useful for stage acting. In particular, it's very good, useful when you are already in a show (laughs) and you have that, you know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks of rehearsal to, like, really drill into the script and, like, take the time to find all of those interesting, like, character moments in there. Uh, Because when you have that much time, you have time to, like, you know, go through all of these gates for that role. Yeah. Like, I have, I remember reading through this and thinking, like, I've opened all of these gates if we're ta- looking at individual, like, performances I have given. And like, I think... Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I think that, like, a lot of academic acting training is geared towards, like, helping you find the steps to make your way all the way to that level of, like, when we've talked about this before on the show, when you're, you know you go on stage after having rehearsed over and over again for eight weeks and you are just in the moment and in the zone and you have all of the stuff you need to do for that character. All of the lines are just running in the background in your brain, leaving you free to live really truthfully and act. Exactly. That is Uh, not nearly as useful for like, Hey, I have this audition. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I need to, I need to shoot off three takes of this to send off and hope that they like me. I need to prove to them that I can act right now. Yeah. And I think that that is something that I have been struggling with as well. And I've, I've been getting better at it because I've been like mm-hmm. making a point of auditioning more and more, or at least trying mm-hmm. to and working to just like build that muscle memory and get out of my own way and, and accelerate the pace at which I'm able to like get to like, Oh, this is the emotion. This is the story. This is like, even if I'm just making up given circumstances because the line is like a completely out of context, one line thing that has no information, but like being able to like, okay, based on this, I can make these choices really quick to give it life. Uh, but man, it's hard, man. It takes time. I really need to start auditioning again, but I think in the meantime, I've been kind of building this muscle just by reading the backs of books, um, the, like product descriptions, like just anything around the house that I can find. Just to like practice that muscle and think, all right, what is if I'm selling this to a person, who is that person? Um, what do they want? How can I embody that? 
and I guess to to get off acting real quick and to to turn this back to video games because that's what all the gamers are here for. <laughs> um, I think you know this this is something that's universal. This is something that I think applies to any type of activity. And when I, I've been thinking about this a lot, both in regards to acting, but also in regards to video games, I've been playing a lot of old favorites again. Um, and I think something that I've discovered is that Chris, I, I feel like you can kind of relate to this where like you, you get like really good at one fighting game, for example. Yeah. But then you, you pick up another fighting game and it's like, Oh God, what am I doing? Everything is different. Yeah. Um, and like, there's that, you've got that, that foundation of knowledge that can get you, you know, to a certain degree. And then it's like, Oh wait, no, not even a little bit. No, no, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I think, just just use Guilty Gear Strive as an example, because it's recent and we've talked about it a bit. Um, you know, I spent like maybe two hours in training mode, just trying out different characters, seeing what their different buttons do. And then I hopped online. And I think the thing is, I've been playing a lot of King of Fighters. That's like kind of been my fighting game for a while. But I think I've I've played that game so much that like the overlap is there where I realize I was playing Ramlethal in Guilty Gear Strive the same way that I would play, say, Leona in King of Fighters. Um, and so the discipline was there where I just kind of knew what the, the basic mechanics of a fighting game were and how I can chain hits into different hits. And, you know, I don't want to get too technical for the audience, but just this idea of... I, I've reached past the um, this is what I do in King of Fighters and it has become this is what I do in fighting games. These are things that are common among them. And so, you know, I might still have to work to learn more of the nuances of Guilty Gear Strive, but I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm hoping that I, I make sense a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. And there's that's kind of the thing that I've been trying to hone down is like, obviously, you know, the the delivery I offer, the the line read, the energy of, say, the heart care triage commercial that I got from my agent the other day okay. versus, like, this anime-ass tactics game that I'm auditioning through from the internet, right. the energy behind that is is going to be different. There's, there is different specifics that you have to take to each of those. But the work of the actor is, is or the work of the creative is finding... What is common? What are the common tools that I can build and really master that are going to get me the most bang for my buck, no matter what the thing that comes across my plate is? In fighting games, maybe that's like, you know, every game is going to have its own take on footsies, but if you get really good at footsies as a concept and spacing and, and, you know, building like when you can link one hit into another. Yeah. um, It's just like how in acting you're, you're thinking of basically who who is the audience like who am i talking to i've been i've been taking vocal training and i've been learning a little bit about uh, tchaikovsky's method um and you know it to the for the for the performance you have to visualize um someone that you're talking to and i think what i'm working on right now is i'm working on that muscle that allows me to at a moment's notice like when I read something, I have to identify who am I talking to, what am what am I trying to get them to do, and what energy, like, how do I best manifest that energy? And I think that's a muscle that'll get 
stronger as I do it more often and I, I challenge myself with like a wider range of, you know, commercial work versus anime work versus video game work, because I think anime and video game work are two different things. Oh, absolutely. Um, 100%. Yeah. And it, it it's becoming a thing of like, all of these are different, but they all have like the same basic fundamentals. How do I footsies acting? Yeah, there's a I I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but I, I took a I took part in this vocal like VO work and vocal health seminar the other week. Uh, and I, I took a shit ton of notes because there were a lot of really big name and incredibly talented and insightful people like working this thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the best notes that I, I took is just a somebody breaking down in from his point of view what all acting needs to accomplish. And it was just in a way that I'd not heard before. And I really loved it. So I wrote this down. He just said, all acting needs to be clear about three things. What am I looking at? How do I feel about it? How does it feel back about me? And that was just one of those things where like, I knew that that is not new information, but it is information that I had, you know, picked up from tons of different sources over the, the God, I, if, if you consider like college, to be when I started studying acting, which I, I would, like, I acted in high school, but I didn't know what the fuck I was doing beyond, like, memorize the lines, uh, <laughs> or whatever the, whatever the fuck my high school theater teacher was able to, con- to convey. Right. Um, I've been doing this for, like, nine years, if you consider the start college, and yeah. I'd never heard it phrased like that before, and that, like, it just hit me in the chest, and I was like, oh, I love that. And finding those ways of in this, in much the same way that the uh, the Kaiji Tang, Kaiji Kaiji Tang uh, tweets really just like hit me across the face. None of that was super new. Like all I'd heard all of the stuff in that Twitter thread before at some point or another. Yeah, but it like, was phrased uh, in a new way that just like really made it resonate with me. And I think that so much of any creative journey and any craft that you're trying to get better at, it's as much about the way that the information is contextualized as it is the information itself. Mm-hmm. Like ju- just to go back to Kaiji Tang's tweets, when I was working on bomb and Gilead, the first college, uh, the first play that was put on at our college in our freshman year, something that uh, the assistant director basically, I, I-, I guess like she could kind of notice that uh, when I was doing the character, I was imitating someone and in my mind, I remember very clearly that I was imitating Nolan North. That was the energy that I was trying to bring to the, <laughs> uh, the performance. So I was very much stuck on the first gate there. Um, and I had to kind of work through that, and I had to start manifesting parts of myself beyond the mimicry, second gate. Um, and that was like kind of the first major learning experience for me. Um, and I guess throughout, by the end of college, I want to say I only reached the third gate, where like I was starting to realize the technique and I guess for like the first year or so after college, I'm like, all right, I got the technique. I'm good. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, I think that that's, <laughs> that's one of the things about that, like that tweet in the for- about the fourth gate where it's the gate of proficiency. Yeah. Like I would say by the time we graduated college or to within a year after that, when I started doing some professional theater around Chicago, I was mm-hmm. solidly at like third and fourth gate. It was like, okay, I'm proficient. I'm getting roles. I know what I'm doing. I have all of this technique that I can bring to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because I was doing live theater and it had longer rehearsal periods, it's like, yeah, by the time the show went up, I was probably at like the sixth or seventh gate for that role mm-hmm. in that moment. 
because of all that time spent in that rehearsal room. But like that thing in that tweet about the fourth gate famously where many actors give up the improvement journey due to lack of self-reflection. It's right. so easy when you're, <laughs> when you're coming out of a very academic point of view, if you're getting coming out of an undergrad program or a, it's, it's a, the equivalent a, of the fighting game player who gets mad because it's like, I have frame advantage on that. It's like, yeah, well you might've anything could have happened, bro. Yeah, you might've missed the input. You might've the fighting the game window. player who is the best among, you know, his circle of friends of people who don't play fighting games as much as he does. Right. And then he goes to a tournament and gets absolutely washed because he hasn't put in the time to improve beyond that bubble that he's been in. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's so easy, uh, again, coming out of any kind of like formal training to be like, I graduated from this training program. I have all of these techniques at my disposal. I'm good. And to stop seeking that improvement. Um, because at that point, you're just kind of, you're wearing a certificate. Yeah, exactly. To, to put it into another, uh, another kind of framework, I, I don't know how much I've talked about this on, on Backstage Gaming, but I, I have been doing martial arts since I was like 12. I've studied Taekwondo mm-hmm. for, at this oh, point, now the majority of my life, which is a wild thing to say. Chris, I have um, a passage queued up after this, so yeah, we, uh, keep talking. Yeah, uh, and... I th- I feel like that is what has like going back to that is what's been really helpful to me in continuing my acting education uh because martial arts is all about constantly seeking to better yourself and seeking to be better than you were the previous day. Uh I studied taekwondo but kung fu the the that whole family of chinese martial arts kung fu in chinese in mandarin just means uh like acquired skill literally just means anything that you have to work hard at to achieve oh wow i did not know that yeah like i i don't know i don't speak mandarin i'm not like there might be nuance to it that i am not bringing to it but as i understand it kung fu as a term just means like something that you acquire through hard work and dedication and if you are a martial artist and you stop training like i have not I, I keep up with my training on my own, but I have not been to a, a Taekwondo class in years at this point. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I go back, I'm going to be criminally far behind compared to other people who've been doing it as long as I have and have been actually like training with other people and bettering themselves that way. Mm-hmm. Anything like that, you are only as good as your practice. You are only as good as the work that you put into it as often as you possibly can. And I know so many people from back when I was doing it more often, who, like, they get to black belt, and they're like, cool, I'm a black belt, and they stop learning. And in, in a martial art, in Taekwondo, getting your black belt is the fourth gate. When I got yeah. my black belt, I remember my instructor telling me, like, cool, now you are a master of the basics, and yep. now you can start to learn. And I was so excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I, I think that, like, you know, that is a very niche comparison, but I think that that's really valuable. Like, people hear Black Belt and they think, wow, you're, you have mastered this thing. It's like, no, no, no. I have mastered the, fun, the foundation of this thing. And um, it's the same way with any formal education in the arts. You, a, like, oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Like, coming out of, yeah, coming out of the, the program that we did, I, th- I would say that Kenyon College's acting program gave us a very strong foundation. That's mm-hmm. not enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, this might actually be a good time for the playbill. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I was thinking it might be a shorter episode, but then we started talking and we've clearly got a lot to say. So yeah. let's, um, let's I, do I that. I got some stuff to talk about video games after this, and I got some stuff to talk about uh, karate, actually. Uh, maybe not karate, but we'll, we'll get there. So All right, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, let's hop over to the playbill then. Here we are in the playbill now. And it's so uh, yeah. nice to be back in the playbill. We haven't done a proper playbill in a very long time. So yeah, this is where we talk about other shit that we've got going on, like Dylan's other podcast. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um. <laughs> Anywho. Um, yes. So I'm I'm involved in two other podcasts. I am involved in Dude, you remember Macross, which is a podcast about this long-running super, uh, not super robot, uh, real robot anime, uh, Super Dimension, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, which is a charming science fiction series about, uh, the military and, um, society, culture, uh, the cultural exchange between, uh, humans and aliens and how we can improve through those interactions. Um, it's really cool stuff. Um, it's a franchise that I have only grown to love more uh, as I've taken this journey on this podcast. And if you want to check that out, if you want to talk shop with us about Super Robot robot anime, I guess I should say. It's not Super Robot anime. The nerd in me is kicking myself. Um, you should check us out on anchor.fm slash dudeyouremember. Uh, that is D-U-D-E. I kind of lost the end of that. We are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And I am also on The Unexplored Places, which is an actual play podcast that myself and Chris, we are both on. Ooh. Um, and we are on Season 2, Tango Sector, where we are a bunch of near-duels in space using the system Scum and Villainy. So if you like, if you like science fiction, if you like, you know, that kind of criminal science fiction like uh, i think like firefly and you know ragtag group of adventurers uh you should check them out at the unexploredcast.libsyn.com and i almost went into the unexplored places <laughs> yeah you had the silence so i was like oh should i plug i mean i'll plug it let's plug yeah, it no, i i was just letting it i was i was like letting it breathe for a second and then you just went with it i was like all right fine we'll, we'll yeah, do it bad. we'll do it live uh <laughs> Couple quick thank yous. Thank you as always to the uh, the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a network full of podcasts about video games. And if you like our show, you'll probably like some of theirs too. They've got shows about uh, games from the fandom perspective, from the news perspective, from the development perspective, all kinds of stuff. You should go check them out. They're always being retweeted over on Twitter at HPVG Pod Network. Thank you as always to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It is your fault that we are able to do this without losing money. It means the world to us that we have that kind of support. Uh, and if you like the show and want to show us some support, head over to patreon.com slash bsgpod and check that out and uh, consider giving us a little bit of help that way. Yeah, I think that's everything we usually talk about. If, uh, if there's something that we usually talk about that I forgot, I'm sure I'll remember when I'm editing this or maybe right after I publish it. But either way, I, I might have let's... you over when I plugged the unexplored places. So. That might just be what I'm thinking of. Anyway, let's get back to the show. <laughs> so, uh... I guess to start this latter half of the episode, um, I wanted to talk about um, my friend Ziad. Uh, he's known on YouTube and on Twitter as Wonder Magenta. Um, and he, he does game design. 
he studies and talks about game design. And his favorite game is Bayonetta. And something he talks about with Bayonetta is like the, the best thing about Bayonetta in games like Bayonetta is that when you beat the game, that's the tutorial. And there are so many things to uh, play in Bayonetta to mine and discover new things that you can do. And your understanding of the game completely changes. You become aware of new things that you can do that the game... I guess, like, the, the thing about Bayonetta and fighting games and racing games and platformers and basically any video game you can possibly think of is that there are rules and there are upgrades. Um, and the game display, like, the game presents you with information, but you don't really know what you can do with the game until you understand all of that basic information and experiment. And so, in the case of Bayonetta, Sure, you can you can dodge enemies and go into witch time. You can upgrade and buy new moves. But Bayonetta really begins for you when you stop thinking about, like, all that stuff. And you just kind of go into a flow state where, oh, I can launch an enemy into the air. And then I can do this upwards. I, I almost called it an upwards dive kick, but that's kind of what it is. Uh, this rising <laughs> kick to combo them into the air. And you start thinking about, like, this mechanic that's never explicitly told to you called dodge offset where you can um hold a button while you uh, do a dodge roll and then you continue the combo so it's a way to reposition the character while still continuing the combo tree you're on and it's it's just this idea of like all that stuff becomes second nature and it, it only starts after you understand all the basics so i guess what yep. i'm trying to say is uh at the end of, uh, before we went to the break, we talked about how you can have all the fundamentals under your belt, but it really doesn't mean anything until you start knowing how you can, like, apply them and express them in ways and just on the spot. Yeah, that, that flow state is such a cool thing when it ticks off. We've talked about it before in the context of, of acting, like even earlier this episode, <laughs> that idea about you go on stage after having been in rehearsal for, like, eight weeks and all of the important stuff is running as background noise in your head and you're free to just act and exist in that yeah. fictional moment that's a thing in in martial arts too like that okay quick aside we're gonna talk about dragon ball for a second we already talked about naruto Good. we're going to dragon ball now um dude i'm gonna bring up hunter hunter later it doesn't matter i love it we're we're on an anime kick right now uh <laughs> ultra instinct so I know nothing about Dragon Ball Super. My knowledge of Dragon Ball ends with Dragon Ball Z. But in, in Dragon Ball Super, I have picked up through osmosis that Goku unlocks this thing called Ultra Instinct, which, rather than being a power-up of, like, you know, another level of Super Saiyan or another, like, you know, power level multiplier or whatever the fuck, what Ultra Instinct is in lore is he he is trained as a martial artist so intensely that he has unlocked the ability to have his body move faster than his mind. So, like, he reacts to an attack coming in and dodges or blocks or whatever faster than he can think to do it. This is the coolest thing Dragon Ball has introduced maybe ever. Maybe at least <laughs> since, like, the original run of Dragon Ball before it transitioned to Z. Mm -hmm. Because it's going back to a very martial artsy place. This is not an idea of, like, some sci-fi ability. This is, like, 
if you talk to someone who's done martial arts for a long time, that is what fighting feels like once you know what you're doing. The brain isn't fast enough. If you have, to, if someone's trying to kick you, and you have to go through the thought of like, there is a kick coming. I need to do this. I need to dodge to the left. Here I go dodging to the left. You got hit halfway through that thought. That is that flow state. That is that feeling of like, you are completely in the moment. You don't need to think. You have the fundamentals so down pat, and you have you have transcended that to the level of like the fundamentals and even the things that come out of those fundamentals are so ingrained in you and so ingrained in your experience and your training that they do just happen. Mm -hmm. And it's a really cool feeling. And you get that, like you were saying, in like character action games or in fighting games or in platformers. You can, in, in anything that you're doing, I fully believe you can get to that point of like, you have achieved a level of mastery that you you don't need to think. You don't need to like take waste time with conscious thought you just do it and it works but you only get there through a whole lot of practice and you only maintain oh, yeah. it through a whole lot of practice <laughs> uh chris you, as you know and as people who follow me on twitter probably know um i've i've gotten really into bullet hells yeah um and bullet hells to to be good at bullet hells you need to kind of have that flow state you need to bullet hells are incredibly simple it like you you hold a button to shoot and you move and you're basically just dodging things there there's no real added complexity unless you're chasing for score but that's that's a whole nother thing don't worry about that with that you know it, it it's exactly like you said you just have to be able to recognize something and instantly be able to move or change course um if there's a cluster of bullets here you need to your brain needs to already have been thinking about the escape route. Um, and the escape route's not like this fixed thing. You have to predict when that escape route is going to be manifested because there are so many bullets. You have to kind of recognize the trajectory they're all taking so you can take that route that you are forming in your head. It's a very weird experience, but it's also something that 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 was kind of the start of that. And when I realized, oh, this also applies to acting, this applies to anything, um, it's it's a discipline that needs to be learned and needs to be mastered, um, that's kind of when I think I really hit that fourth gate, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, like, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to imply is that it's it's all connected. This isn't limited to any one thing. It's It's like a universal thing, and that's so cool to me. Yeah, there there are so few things in the world that are universal between people between you know careers between artistic endeavors but i think that the one thing that really is like you were saying is just like putting in work putting in time figuring out ways to you know examine the things even in your own training that you kind of take for granted and see okay is this you know why is this valuable is it valuable is it something i can put aside is it something i want to dig into is it something i can build mm -hmm. on uh, that's what I really love about, again, I, I'm going to bring up that same tweet in that thread about the the fourth gate, where he says, when it, I mean, he's talking about that gate of proficiency, where you've got the solid, solid technical skill, you know the, you know the basics, and he says, it's where many actors give up due to lack of self-reflection, and I mm -hmm. think that that is maybe the, the, if there's one thing out of that Twitter thread that, like, hit me really well is, is that, is it, it's not enough to just learn you have to reflect on what you're learning. You have to think about yeah. what 
the different things you're picking up from wherever you're picking them up, what they mean and how they are helping you. Yeah. I'm, I'm so curious to hear about your Hunter Hunter take now. Okay. Um, so, uh, for people who haven't seen Hunter Hunter, it is kind of in the same vein as Dragon Ball, uh, in that, like, it is about a kid who learns a martial art and he wants to be the strongest in the world. Um, like, so from like the most basic perspective, yeah. it's like Dragon Hunter, Ball. Hunter, Hunter and Dragon Ball, I would put side by side as being like kind of the two, I don't know enough anime history and I don't want to show my whole ass by saying like they kind they invented the shonen genre but like a lot of more modern shonen anime and shonen manga you can tr- see a lot of the tropes being born in Dragon Ball and and Hunter Hunter. Yeah, I would agree with that honestly. Um Naruto I feel like borrows a lot from Hunter Hunter and you know yeah, everything in particular. borrows from Naruto. So, you know, yeah. it's Yu Yu Hakusho is in that same category as well, yeah, I would I say. I would agree with that. Anyway, um Hunter Hunter is about a kid who is built up to be like Goku. He's built up in his head and uh, by the expectations of those around him to be incredibly strong. And, you know, he, he's, he's just got the, he's got the innate talent for it. Mm-hmm. However, uh, the main character of Hunter Hunter does not win a whole lot because he's nope. surrounded by people who have more experience than him and are just simply better. Yeah. Um, and so... The main character Gone, he 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 tries to learn, but he like it's also implied early on in the show that he pushes himself harder because he wants to catch up to everybody. And so he's not actually internalizing the lessons. He's he's trying to take the shortcut as quickly as possible. And later in the show, this is kind of a spoiler, but he goes so hard that he almost irreparably damages himself. Because he doesn't understand the lesson, like he he's he doesn't understand the lessons. He doesn't take them to heart. He he just he sees where everyone is, and he constantly tries to reach that mark without understanding the journey there. Yeah, in in the metaphor of the Kaiji Tang tweet, he's stuck on gates like one and two, but putting in all of the effort of someone who's at like gate seven. Yeah, and in doing that, like. He he almost irreparably damages himself, and I won't say anything more if you're interested because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, go but go watch that's... Hunter Hunter. It's phenomenal. It's such a good anime. Yeah, I I, I think that's you know I, I I think it's all connected, and it's just it's just this kind of idea of striving for perfection. And sorry, I'm like I'm trying to think like where else I want to go with that, but I think what's important is that. There is a very prominent genre of striving for perfection, and I think there is something valuable in that, and I think there's something that Kaiji Tang taps into, and I think going back and looking at all this media that is about that kind of thematic point is interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there, there's a reason that, like, shonen anime is such a huge part of, if not, like, the an- it. I don't know, again, I'm I'm not going to speak to, like, anime as a whole, because I will admit, as much as I like it, I have not watched a ton of it. But there's a reason that, e- however much of a percentage of the actual amount of anime out there, shonen anime takes up a huge amount of, like, the cultural 
awareness of anime, particularly among people who are not huge into the rest of the stuff out there. Like, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I was not a huge anime fan, but I watched a ton of Dragon Ball, a bunch of Yu Yu Hakusho, like, Naruto. The shonen was the stuff that I liked, and I think that the reason that's so compelling is, at their core, they are stories about people trying to become the best, trying to better themselves. Um, and I think, because I'm, I'm thinking of other shows that aren't quite so shonen, like I'm thinking mm-hmm. about Gundam, and I, I'm thinking about Fooly Cooly, and I'm thinking yeah. about uh, Serial Experiments Lane, even. Uh, those are all shows that are not about self-improvement necessarily, but they're about, you know, they're, I, I would argue they're also about trying to reach that eighth gate. Like, the eighth gate of just being able to naturally live in the moment and that that point where like you realize like you've you've done the discipline um now all that's left is for you to be able to speak your mind freely and just to live um yeah i i think and i don't know this might be presumptuous of me but i i feel like it all kind of ties back to a very buddhist kind of philosophy you know yeah 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 there's like and i don't want to i don't want to speak too much towards buddhism because i have a fairly cursory knowledge of it. But I think that there is, like, from what I understand of it, seeking that just sort of state of, like, detachment from the world is not quite the right term in terms of what we're talking about here, but, like, detachment from all of the stuff that gets in the way. Yeah. Detachment um, from, like, like fi- finding... And again, I've, I've, I feel like I've said this, like, four times in this episode, but keeping the stuff that is valuable, keeping the stuff that is useful, keeping the stuff that works for you and getting the rest of the the crap out of the way so that you can find that flow state more easily. So I'm actually going to read a passage from uh, British philosopher Alan Watts because this was Please. exposed to me around the same time that Kaiji Tang, like it's almost like the whole thing's <laughs> lining up. So I feel compelled to share it. I love um, it. And he is a British philosopher who... Uh, studied a lot of Eastern um, religions and philosophies and stuff like that. And so he kind of made it digestible for a a Western audience. Um, If you talk all the time, you will never hear what anybody else has to say. And therefore, all you'll have to talk about is your own conversation. The same is true for people who think all the time. That means when I use the word think, talking to yourself, subvocal conversation. The constant chit-chat of symbols and images and talk and words inside your skull. Now, if you do that all the time, you'll find that you have nothing to think about except thinking. And just as you have to stop talking to hear what I have to say, you have to stop thinking to find out what life is all about. The moment you stop thinking, you come into contact with what, uh, forgive me for my pronunciation, Korzybski uh, called so delightfully the unspeakable world. The most ordinary sights and sounds and smells, the texture of shadows on the floor in front of you, all these things without being named, and saying, that's a shadow, that's red, that's brown, that's somebody's foot. When you don't name things anymore, you start seeing them. Because, say, when a person says, I see a leaf, immediately one thinks of a spearheaded shaped thing outlined in black and filled with flat green. No leaf looks like that. No, leaves, leaves are not green. That's why Lao Tzu said, the five colors make a man blind. The five tones make a man deaf, because if you can only see five colors, you're blind, and if you can only hear five tones in music, you're deaf. You see, if you force sound into five tones, you force color into five colors, you're blind and deaf. 
The world of color is infinite, as is the world of sound, and it is only by stopping, stopping fixing con conceptions on the world of color and the world of sound that you really begin to hear it and see it. And so to, to, to tie this back to Kaiji Tang's, it's, it's the idea of like, you can only learn so much and you, you kind of have to get into the act of acting or the act of playing or the act of doing or the act of being. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really cool to me. And it's, it's exciting that like, as soon as this first got exposed to me, there's all these different people who are sharing this, this idea and this discovery. Yeah, yeah. And I think it it goes back to one of the other things that I've I've really appreciated learning and doing the best that I can to to work into my own life is this idea of like as important as it is to, you know, if you're a creative, if you're an actor, having that daily practice, doing the like doing what you can to train every day and to practice every day and to be doing something towards the the work that you want to be doing every day. It is just as important to like live a full life and to have things that you do outside of your craft and to have things that you do outside of, you know, the narrow walls of like, I'm an actor, so I am doing actor things. It's like, no, I'm I'm a person. I'm going to live a life that gives me experiences that I can then that make me a more well-rounded person. And then that person comes out in my acting. Yeah. There, I don't know. It's, we're, this has been a very heady episode, and I hope that <laughs> you have gotten something out of it, because I have been having a blast talking about all these it's philosophical ramblings. Especially yeah. with, like, having to have been in quarantine for so long, and I don't know, just something about, like, this light bulb that went off felt cathartic. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, but I feel like that, that feels to me like a good place to end this, unless you've got some final thoughts that you want to... I would agree with that. Um, sorry we didn't talk about video games a lot this episode, but honestly, this, this kind of resonated with Chris and me, and yeah. um, I think getting this out into the world was, was more important to me, at least. Absolutely. I 100% I agree, and I think that it's... Uh, every now and then, like you were, you were joking about, like, everything's kind of aligning and everyone's sharing this stuff that all taps into the same thing. Is it coincidental? I mean, I don't know, maybe. What's a coincidence? All I know <laughs> is that there was a lot of really good energy around these kinds of ideas that I was being exposed to mm -hmm. in the last few days, and I, I felt like this was a good opportunity to double down on that and to, to break it down with my friend as much for my benefit as for anybody out there listening. And I hope that you did get something uh, valuable out of this conversation because I don't know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there's stuff out there that is helpful wherever you want to look. And it's just a matter of finding it. And there was a lot of that recently, which hell yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, no, I feel that. But yeah, I guess we can wrap up there. Thank you all for joining us on this week's episode of backstage gaming. I hope you got something valuable or at least had got exposed to some new or interesting ideas in this more philosophical ramble than usual. Uh, <laughs> if you want to know more about us, you can find us at our website, bsgpod.com. There's info about uh, us and our show and a contact form if you want to reach out. All that good stuff. Go check that out, bsgpod.com. Also, wherever you're getting the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all those good places, whatever podcatcher you like to use, leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friends and family. 
uh, put us, blast us on your car stereo as you drive around social distancing <laughs> through the town. All that good stuff. Expose others to our ideas. Backstage gaming. <laughs> um, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. Um, if you want to engage with us, talk, of, uh, talk with us. Um, you know, actually, I, I want to pose a question to our listeners. Um, is there is there a game that you've just super deep dived into or e- not even a game? Just like, is there anything you've deep dived into and to the point where, like, you're constantly thinking about the technique on improving that craft? Um, let us know and use the hashtag BSG pod. Yeah. Yeah. See, I am thinking on the fly now. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the flow. We're in the flow. Uh, also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided our show. Um, if you dig his stuff, I highly recommend you check out his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts and on Twitter at brennan underscore french. You should also go check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. Uh, he's a great electronica composer and producer. He's got a lot of great music. You can find all of that by going to soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thanks again to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. As always, you can find all those shows being retweeted on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. Thanks again to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. If you like our show and you want to support us, that's a great way to do that. That's BSG. That's uh, patreon.com slash bsgpod. And I think that'll do it for us for this week. I hope you all have a wonderful couple of weeks. We'll be back, in, we'll be back the Monday after next to talk more about games and Probably a little less philosophically rambly, but I'm not going to make any promises on that front. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.